You've heard the term trying on different hats. Well, Diane Lutz took that saying to heart and boy, has she run with it. The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, I'm Rishia Candidate Kapasuras. Along with Julie Holton and Andrea Fink, we are your Think Tank of Three. Today's guest is truly a woman of many talents, but unlike so many of us, she hasn't shied away from testing them all out. What gives Diane Lutz the ability to not only lean into what calls to her, but to recognize that there's a reason behind her forward momentum? I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. Diane, thank you so much for joining Think Tank of Three. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate the very warm and humbling introduction. Thank you. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, this is gonna be very fun. Teaching, yoga, music, ophthalmic sales, city council, mom, <laughs> wife, and wait, there's more. Cause you know, I'm doing an infomercial. <laughs> if I did any more, it would take up this entire podcast. So here's the $100,000 question. Diane. Right. Who are you? All right. So who am I? Yeah, that's a good question, Risha. Thank you. That's a question, I guess, of beliefs and values. And I would just say I am a woman who recognizes that tomorrow is not promised. I believe in experiencing life to its absolute fullest. I really want to be on my deathbed with no regrets. And what that means for me is making deep and meaningful human connections. It means exploring my talents. It means discovering new things it means adventuring. And these are things for me that are paramount to me having a fulfilling life while I'm on this planet. So that's who I am. All right, Diane, you have this grab bag of talents Mm -hmm. and career tracks. Mm -hmm. How did you maneuver from teaching to guiding the eye surgeon? Yes, that's right. Eye (laughs) surgery to breaking down how to live your best life. And now trying to help other people live their best life. Yeah, I know for some reason it all makes sense to me, but I guess because it's, I lived it. Um, but it does sound pretty wacky when you see it all listed out, surgical rep, teacher, lead singer, yoga instructor. Like I've, I've had a challenging time with my resume at times, making it sound fluid. Like it it almost seems as if someone merged three different people's, uh, resumes together by accident and, you know, submitted that. Um, I like my buffet style type of life. It's really authentic to who I am. Um, I think maybe to answer your question, I, I just really don't truly fear, um, trying new things out, um, and trying on those new hats. I was going to wear a fedora today, but I realized that would fall flat on a podcast because nobody can see it. But, (laughs) um, I like, I've really learned through, learned really well through experience, experiencing things. It's very hard for me to say like, oh, I'm really going to enjoy this career or I'm really going to like this without actually being there. And like case in point, I had a picture in my head. I had always planned. It was, it was a, a goal and a dream of mine to stay at home with my kids when they were really little. This was something that I really wanted to do. Um, and so I planned for that, you know, we saved money so it could happen that way. We made it possible for our lifestyle. In my mind, this stay-at-home mom gig was going to be something fantastic and special. It was going to be magic. 
I was going to be cutting out cookies and they were going to sparkle and my kids were going to be beautifully dressed and clean. And I was going to have a warm cooked dinner on the table every night when my husband <laughs> came home from work. And my hair was going to be perfect, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. So I had this really um, amazing picture of what I envisioned being a stay-at-home mom was. And I tortured myself for a little while trying to attain that very unrealistic um, expectation of myself. And, um, I also realized, so, so this is where I came to, came to realize that I'm, I am a very experiential type of person. It's very hard for me to be outside of something and know whether I'm going to like it or not. My, I, when I was staying home, I, uh, found that I was constantly getting involved in other things outside of the home. I sat on every board that I could possibly sit on. I got involved in all different projects. People asked me to come and do, um, uh, do talks for their groups. I was like, yeah. So I was constantly finding babysitters and sneaking out to do these things. And I found, <laughs> I found it really difficult to just kind of, um, to, to stay home, um, with the kids and be fully present with them. And, um, and I, you know, it, I just found it, it just didn't suit my personality. And I, and I came to terms with that and I was like, that's okay. And I stayed home with one child then went back to work and stayed home with the second child because that beginning time was really important to me again. And I approached it very differently with my second child and I gave myself a break and I enjoyed being present with my child while doing other things and making sure I did have access to babysitting and not feeling guilty about that or not uh, worrying that I wasn't living up to this expectation. So, so long story short, the reason why I've done so many things in my life is because I really like to try them out. I really like to try things on for size. I can't look at an outfit in a store and know that that's going to look good on me. I need to try it on. I truly just don't fear trying things out. What is there to fear? Why, why do we fear all the time? Failure. That's probably the biggest, is that's probably going to be the biggest one is that you get into a comfort zone and you know mm -hmm. that that comfort zone is working. And then the minute you consider doing something else, you don't know what the result's going to be of that next thing. Yeah. And I think that that, that that's probably the biggest thing is, well, I don't know if it's going to succeed. And, yeah. and that, that, that lack of knowing that's, that's a, mm. the fear of the unknown is almost worse than the fear, which is, I think where the fear of failure comes from, right? It's not, it's not that you're fearing that you fall flat on your face and then X will happen. Mm -hmm. It's the fear that you don't know what's going to happen. If I leave my job and I take a new one, what if I don't like it? What if they don't like me? What if I don't get paid enough? What if I get hit by a bus? What if I get fired? Like, right. All of those unknowns are the things that hold you back and keep you where you're at in your comfort zone versus being, you know, brave enough to sort of take those risks and say, well, you know, I've done fine so far. But something also happens to fear when I think when we're being led by purpose and, and that theme continues, I, I hear that coming up as you're talking and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and you're laughing and telling these stories that I'm sure at the time were not so funny when you were finding out that, <laughs> you know, this picture you had painted about being a stay at home mom was not quite, you know, coming together the way you had envisioned at first. And I don't think it's ironic at all mm -hmm. that in each of these different kind of career paths, if you will, that you've taken, whether it be 
the actual careers you've had. I count staying at home as also one of those. Teaching has always been a consistent thread for you. Teaching in the classroom, teaching the eye surgeon, teaching your children, teaching yourself how to focus on what you need and to hire those babysitters so you can get out of the house for those speaking engagements where again you are teaching yet again Mm -hmm. so how purposeful has that been for you to come back to this idea of teaching I have actually not pursued many of the teaching roles in my life I was a teach for America teacher and that is the only role the only true teaching role that I actually pursued myself. Um, Outside of that, like my very humble beginnings working for an ophthalmologist answering phones, um, within like three months, they put me in charge of teaching people how to uh, instill and remove their contact lenses and how to take care of their contacts. And that was my exclusive job. I was in charge of teaching patients how to do that. When I was working for Alcon Laboratories, I was brand new in sales. And within a year of being there, they put me into a trainer role. They had me, um, I got promoted a year later in, uh, as a sales trainer. My next um, sales job, also ophthalmic sales job at Aerie, I also became a um, sales trainer within a year of being there. So it's kind of like, you know, people ask me, would you like to go for this job? Are you? And I'm like, okay, sure. And what I found is that I am most present when I'm doing these things, when I'm helping other people get to their goals, that's where I feel most authentic. And that's where like more so than like, than any of the other work that I've done, it's the work that energizes me. It's the work that excites me. So since I am this self-improvement enthusiast, For the past, um, I guess about 20 years, I have been looking at ways that I can embrace my passions. How can I be happier? How can I feel more satisfied in my life? And as time has gone on, I've realized that I've gained so many skills over the past two decades. And I'm excited now because I can share those skills with other people. And so this will be the next stage of my life and next and only time I'm getting back to answering your question, Julie, (laughs) this is the next and only time in my life where I'm being intentional, intentional about teaching. Um, because now I do have something that I feel like is really worthy of sharing. You know, when I was a teach for America teacher, I felt like that was a very worthy time for me and a really worthy time. Um, I was doing really good work and I was really happy to share. This is that next stage in my life too, where I feel like I'm really living in my authenticity and what I'm supposed to be doing. So when you talk about living sort of your passion and, and living in your authenticity, that that is a learned behavior, correct? Yeah, I would say so. Yep. Is there tips, tricks, suggestions for how other people would learn how to live in that space? Yeah, definitely. Um, this is the work that I'm, I'm looking to do in my life right now. This is what I'm very excited to share. So um, I think one of the, the very first thing that someone should do to, in order to live in their authenticity and to find their greatest satisfaction is to identify their values. Generally, everyone knows like what they value in life. Okay. Like family, you know, they have this vague understanding, but have you actually sat down and journaled about it? Have you looked at a list of values and said, what are my top five or 10 values in life? The things that I really couldn't live without, or that would feel so inauthentic if I were not um, involved or embracing those things. So that would be the number one thing to do. So identify values, write them down. How many people can say like, oh, I just don't, I just don't feel great in life. I'm not happy right now, but they don't really have a general idea. They don't really know exactly why they're not happy. 
you could probably pinpoint a couple of things, but there's actual exercises that you can do. Once you identify what your values are, then you look at kind of like the eight or 10 categories in your life that make up your greatest satisfaction. So maybe that's career, finances, your significant other, um, maybe that's family, maybe it is, there's so many, so many areas, but everyone has about eight or 10 areas in life that kind of make up their satisfaction. Well, how often do you just sit down and reflect, how am I doing in these areas? How am I doing in health and wellness right now? And journal about it or write about it, think about it, talk to someone about it. How am I doing in my career right now? Am I happy where I am right now? you know, what needs to change. So then you sit down. So identify your values and then assess those areas in your life. I assess those areas in my life. It may sound like a lot, but about once a month, I sit down and I go through the um, eight areas that are most important to my life. And I rate basically on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied I am in those areas. And once I do that, then I can start making a plan of action to create satisfaction. Uh, and these are what, this is what I'm doing in my workshops that I'm, uh, starting to launch here in 2021. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So if you want to live authentically, number one, identify what your values are. Number two, assess how you're doing in those areas that bring you the most satisfaction. And then number three is create a plan to adjust if you're not satisfied. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. And Diane, I love that you are in a position where you are now now going to help others to figure this out because it sounds so simple, right? When we say Mm -hmm. it, identify areas where you're not quite satisfied. Like that sounds great in theory, but then it's like, okay, now what do I do about it? And, and having someone, you know, I have a friend in my life. We, we call, we call each other accountabuddies because we're accountability partners and, and whatever we're focusing on in that given season. And it's great. Like we hold each other accountable. We have weekly phone calls where whether we like it or not, we're going to talk about where we are on things. And it sounds like you're creating an entire purposeful business around how to help guide people through this. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny you say that too, because for me, I've been doing this for um, 20 years on my own, like 15, 15 to 20 years on my own, different variations of this. So for me, it's easy. I can, I can do this in like, I say I do this monthly and I could sit down and do a session in about 30 minutes and I'm done. And I recognize that when I've run these workshops, it's kind of, I take for granted that how easy it is for me, but how this really is truly a learned skill. Um, and how difficult it is sometimes for people to, um, to assess how satisfied they are in these different areas of life. So what I do in the workshops is I come up with um, journal prompts, different questions, um, questions for discussion that people can kind of break out and and talk about because gosh, you know, we, we just, we just go day to day to the job, home, do the laundry, do the dinner, next thing. Maybe we have a hobby or we go to the gym or we do any, you know, all the things that we have to do. And we're, we're not taking that time to just like step back and say, what do I need to do to feel a little more satisfied in life? And because like you said, Julie, it, it can be kind of overwhelming. That sounds like a daunting task to look at the eight areas of your life. So I'm, that's, that's why I'm so excited to share this because it's been so incredibly helpful to me in my life. And to be able to share that with other people, I mean, that to me would feel like a life fulfilled that I, I am living in my purpose. Living your purpose, which is awesome. And it's awesome that you have been able to identify that. I've been in a couple of sessions of different areas that you've done this. You've done these types of settings in different settings and, and fully have fully lived them for yourself. You know, you, you're talking from experience when you lay these things out. So then 
what then finally unlocked that willingness in you to say, you know what, I, I need to share this. I need to do this more. I need to make sure other people have this understanding of how to find a better self. Let's just say you want to make cookies and all you need is a cup of sugar. How can I turn away when I have a pantry of pounds of sugar behind me that I could hand, I could easily hand you a cup, or maybe you want to make cookies, but you don't have a recipe, but I could give you a sample recipe or better yet. I could show you the principles of cookie making so you can create your own recipe. So I have, I've, I feel like I've become the expert cookie maker, or that would be a baker, which I am not <laughs> obviously. Cause I said cookie maker. <laughs> So it's like I've become an expert baker and I'm ready to share with other people how to do it. I, I feel like, and, and believe me, I'm not an expert in life. I think you're never an expert in life. I think you're continually growing, but I feel like I have the tools now that I can, I can help others. Most of this has been like, you know, people have asked me, would you come and talk to my group? Would you participate in this? Would you lead a workshop? I've gotten feedback from people from these workshops about how inspirational they were or how much it changed the way they were operating in their life. And I, this is where I was kind of like, all right, there are all my bags of sugar. I need to share a cup. Um, and it's time. And I think, I think the timing is right now. I've always talked about this. My husband mentioned this to me when he was like, what is the podcast you're doing? What is this? And, um, he, he said to me, you know, you've talked about this, doing this for years. So it's not surprising to me that you're, you're doing it now. He's like, I'm just surprised it took you so long. He's like, when I met you, you had a vision board on your wall. And I'm like, yeah, I did. So, um, you know, and that's the better part of a decade. Um, but the timing is right now. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, feel sad. And a lot of people out there who just could feel better. There are people with anxiety. Like I always say this with values too. I think one of the key reasons why people, aside from chemical uh, imbalances, because people struggle with chemical imbalances with anxiety and depression, and that's a different arena. But sometimes when people have this intermittent anxiety, I really do believe it's because conflicts are in value with one another, or you're doing something where one of your values, you either have two values in conflict with one another, and you can't just, you can't rectify that, or something you're doing is in conflict with one of your values. And without knowing your values, it's very hard to identify why you have anxiety. So you kind of just sit there with anxiety and you don't have to, you know, knowing these things about yourself can help guide you. I think these are great things to do in conjunction with mental health, um, you know, therapy as well. You have been doing this self-introspection for a very long time, for as long as I've known you and obviously far beyond that. Yes. So what led you into that aspect? What led you to, to, do this self-introspection in finding that better life and making that better life work for you. This started, um, yeah, I would say, I'd say probably around the time I was 18, I graduated high school. I was a hot mess when I graduated high school. I had very little guidance and very little structure and um, very little direction. I did not know what I was going to do. I graduated high school and I had, um, it was, it was like August 15th or 18th and everybody started leaving to go to college. And I was like, Oh my God, 
I have nothing to do. So, and I realized I turned around and I looked and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and I was just about to turn 18. I turned 18 in September and there was something about that magic number. I am 18 and therefore I cannot blame my life on anyone else anymore because I am an adult. This is not my parents' fault. This is not school's fault. This is no one's fault because now life became mine. I, for some reason, and I'm glad I had that magical moment. Um, for me, I started um, journaling at that time and I started making changes in my life. You know, that's how I got into eye care. My, it was so strange. Eye care, I've been in eye care for, you know, a couple of decades here. And it's just been the one thing that I've done during the day, sometimes part-time, sometimes full-time. I've taken off some time to do other things, but it's the one constant in my life. And how I got into it was my sister was working at, a, at the eye doctor and I needed a job. And I said, um, are they hiring? And she said, sure, they need someone to answer the phones. And so that's how, and here I am, you know, that was 1994. Here I am many years later, still in the same industry, uh, just, just in a different, uh, different part of the industry. Um, and, you know, I said to her, I was like, you're taking classes at community college at night. Can I hitch a ride with you? Because of course I had no car. And um, she said, yeah. And I said, I'll just take classes at the same time you are. And I took classes with her. And then fast forward, you know, that turned into, you know, I was a straight A student and I had a 4.0. I was in honors classes. I went from being a, a practically a high school dropout to that. But through uh, I started doing these I am statements. Risha, you were in part of the um, the workshop I did the other uh, last a few weeks ago on uh, vision boards, where we were doing I am statements, and they're they're basically statements of your future self. Who do you envision yourself being? So you're writing about your future self in present tense. I am well liked. I am mm -hmm. smart. I am, and writing these very pointed statements about yourself in the future and reading them over and over again, you know, at some point in time, you either have to say to yourself, okay, so I'm either lying to myself or these things aren't possible <laughs> and, and <laughs> these aren't possible. And I never believed that they weren't possible for some reason. So I just kept going after my I am statements. Um, so that was kind of the first, the first um, beginning of this. And I just started setting goals and achieving them. And I became kind of nerdy about it, learning about smart goals, learning how, about how to be specific, measurable, uh, you know, timely. Um, I got, I got very nerdy about goal setting. At some point in time too, I hired on a life coach. I heard about life coaching and I said, let me give this a shot. And um, yeah, I went, I went for it and it was an awesome experience. Um, and I ran with it. So talk to us a little bit about life coaching, because I think that's something that sometimes you hear in communities, it's very woo woo. Mm -hmm. There's no science to it. Like, do you come in and just like crystals on my body. I don't really know. Sometimes it's like counseling, <laughs> like what is life coaching? How is it different than like maybe career coaching or therapy in general or crystals? <laughs> not, to, not to shame anyone who likes crystals. I just, crystals are good. Crystals are good. Not yeah. good stuff. They're just differences, right? Right. Just differences, right. So you want to think of life coaching as, um, somebody who is going to ask you all the questions that get you to your answers. Okay. So there, I know I, it, life coaching kind of gets this, this, um, bad rap that it's all new agey and weird and whatnot. My experience with life coaching was that it got me very in touch with, um, who I want to be, where I want to go in my life. One of the questions that um, a life coach gave me early on that really struck home with me was um, he asked, 
if a child asked you, what is your purpose or what is the purpose of life? How would you answer? And that really hit home for me. That was a, that was one of those moments where I felt like I really got a good understanding of what my purpose was here. And for me, it was very obvious that it was to make human connections. And for me, that's usually in the form of helping. You know, I like to help people solve problems. It's part of my, I don't know if anyone's ever taken the strength finders test. It's my number one strength is uh, problem solving. I think life coaching in general, is just like, imagine it's like just a friend that is helping you figure out what you want to do in your life. Um, you have all your answers. They're just asking you the questions to get you there. I want to go back a little bit to the discussion you were having earlier about I am statements and goal setting, because I think those are two tools that could be helpful for women as they're thinking about their career and their lives in general. Talk to us a little bit about what an I am statement is, how you would use it, how you would not use it, how often you would assess it, and then how does that relate to goals? Sure. So, and I should, I should restate that they're not always, I am statements, they're I statements. Cause it's not, I, it's not always, I am sometimes it's, I have, or it's, I achieve, or I do, um, or I make, or I create. So again, I think the, the very first thing that anyone needs to do is make sure that they're in touch with their values. Make sure you know what you value first, because it's really easy to say like, I am, uh, fit. I am a, you know, a fitness, I look like a fitness model, you know, and to, to say like, all right, do, do I actually want that? Is that actually, does that actually align with my top five or 10 values? Really the things that are in my core that are really going to make me happy. Like, I mean, yeah, it would be great to look like a fitness model on a magazine, but that is in conflict with so many of my goals. Cause I don't have time to spend, you know, two or three hours a day in the gym and doing meal prep and doing all these things. Like I just don't. So I think the very first important thing before you make any I statements is identify what your core values are. Your, your maybe five, I think 10 is a lot, um, but maybe five to eight values that really drive who you are that are going to give you the most satisfaction in life. And then like I said before, then kind of assessing those areas of your life. How satisfied are you there? Um, and then taking that moment to stop and step back. Like, what do I need? What would be the ideal scenario? What do I need to change? So what would I look like? What would I, what would that look like then? And then say, then you can kind of make those statements. I am successful in my business, or I am the vice president of XYZ company or I, but, but, but knowing that these are coming from a very true and authentic place because it's good and great to sit down and just sketch out a list of things you want to be in the future. But if you don't do it from a place of finding your core value first, um, that, that, that could be potentially, um, dangerous or potentially like, what's the word? Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, Almost self-destructive, like, self-destructive, even. Yeah. Yeah. It's detrimental. Yeah. Detrimental it's as opposed to it's it, as opposed to what I feel like it is, is the, the I statements are that, that goal, that attainable goal, but mm -hmm. practicing speaking that attainable goal into existence. Yes. Yes. So, because you, know, you can't keep saying I am the vice president of the company and then roll out of bed at nine o'clock in the morning, a half hour late for work or whatever that is. Like you can't, <laughs> you, you can't, you can't. The, there goes my dream. Yeah. <laughs> 
Did you want to be the vice president though? <laughs> no, not really. No, but that's I, it. There you go. When I did, yeah, when I did your, when I did that, the, the session with you, I was, I was, I was realizing that. And when I was, one of the things that you had made very clear was yes, make it the thing that you truly want, but also be real about what it is that you want to do and how you want to do that. So, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here, no one can see, of course, cause we're not letting you see, you can only hear us, but I'm holding one of the, my little value segments in my hand with the I am statement in there. And I, 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 I really wanted to make certain that when I wrote that, and I told you mine was legacy. Okay. And how to address that legacy of what I, of what I want and, and, and making certain that that actually fits with, with who I think I am, who I want to be, who I want to be remembered as. Mm. And I think when you say those I statements and repeat those I statements, it's that practicing what you preach into reality. And I think that that's, it's, it make it's an, it becomes attainable. Yeah. I think it's something that becomes more attainable. When you speak in the present tense, your brain automatically believes that it's happening right now to what you were saying, Rishi, the brain doesn't like having incomplete tasks. If there's anything outstanding. So you've seen those things before where um, it's a paragraph and it's missing a bunch of words, but your brain automatically fills in those words. Yeah. Or, or missing letters and your brain fills in those letters. Your brain likes to complete things. So when you set when you set out with goals or you set out with statements like I am something and you're not that, your brain is constantly going to keep putting that in front of you as something that needs to get complete. There's some studies that have been done on this that that um, they had a group of people do a bunch of different um, different tasks and then they cut them short intentionally um, on certain tasks so they couldn't get them complete. And when they were asked to recall all the different tasks they did, the ones they were more likely to recall were the incomplete ones because that is what the brain is tuned into. So give yourself a bunch of incompleted goals, get them front and center in your brain and your brain is gonna constantly remind you. And those constant reminders should be that if they're things that are truly in your soul and truly the things you value, they're going to be constantly in front of you and drive you, drive you forward. Right now where I work, I'm a business development coach and I am working with my attorneys to set their business development goals for the next year, which is really hard Mm -hmm. in the time of COVID. And so frequently the recommendation I make is set something small, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes a day or 15 minutes a week, even of like intentional working on this thing. Mm -hmm. And there's something about writing down your goals that I think is really impactful. There's something about making them small and attainable. But when I'm looking at sort of that big picture, right? The life, my life as a whole, who I am, who I wanna be, how do I take those big things? Like I wanna be the VP of X, Y, and Z company and break it down into small goals. Like maybe I will get out of bed before 9 a.m. Maybe. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's going to be, uh, I think part of that is just a personal, um, personal goal setting and what kind of, let's say time someone has available. So I'll give you an example. Um, I just, uh, completed my second album and how did I do that? I work full time. I do these things on the side. I have two kids, just like you said, I set small attainable goals for myself where I set, I put in blocks of time on my calendar. So I would sit down weekly 
and look and say, well, I have to be at work early here this day, so I can't do that, but I have this evening I can work, or I can get up at 5 a.m. and between 5 and 7, I can write songs, or you know, I don't have to be up early tomorrow, so I'm going to stay up later and do it tonight, and just blocking out that time and having a specific commitment um, really helps in calendaring it. And Julie, like you said before, you talked about having an accountability partner. I have like three accountability partners right now for different parts, different areas in my life. And I love it. I think it's really, you know, we, they know what my goals are. I tell them what my goals are at night and for the next day. And then I check in with them and let them know whether I accomplished those goals or not. And I, and they're what my daily goals are are the bite-sized pieces that I need to do to chip away to get to the big goal. So Audrey, yeah, I think to answer your question, it's really just, it's really personal. How much time do you have? How much urgency do you have? Are you able to devote the entire day to it? Or do you just have 30 minutes a day that you can devote to your goal? There's no reason to rush to get to the, get to your goals either. That's something I've had to learn is to just slow down and don't, you know, don't, burn myself out. This has been, this has been an issue for me. Okay. Is I want to get to my goal. I want to get to my goal yesterday. So I am going to, you know, just put everything into that, you know, even if it means it's at the risk of, you know, not spending time with my family or not. And I won't do that anymore. Those are things that, that are just like non-negotiables, but you know why? Cause I'm in touch with my values and I know that spending time with my family <laughs> is really important. And when I don't spend that time with my family, I don't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And nobody else is happy. So. And what a beautiful reminder that yeah none of us are meant to do this alone, right? Whether yes. it's, you mentioned you have three account buddies and you lead these workshops in small groups so that you're leading with community. You have a tribe, you know, around people as they're pursuing this. I just wrapped up an amazing experience with um, an abundance experience, very similar in design, a month long workshop with Jack Canfield and Lisa Nichols and, mm. and all of these amazing collaborators and teachers. And the whole concept was none of us are meant to do this journey alone. And no matter where we are on the path towards our goals, whether they're getting out of bed before 9 a.m. <laughs> in order to get that VP office or yeah. whether it's a smaller goal, um, you know, we're, and that's why this podcast exists. We're meant to, to take these steps together and to have that support and that collaboration. Yeah. I'm, and I'm taking very small steps to get to, well, actually they feel like, honestly, it feels like very big steps because um, of the amount of progress that I make by doing things very first thing in the morning. Um, I've been reading this book called Eat That Frog and it's all about getting up first thing and just get getting that thing done. That's going to move you forward faster. But yeah, I mean, even with this, I mean, I have a goal and a vision for, um, for the work that I'm doing right now, and it's going to be much bigger than it is right now. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm holding vision board workshops and I'm doing them on Sunday nights because that's an available space for me right now. And I'm just working on this one thing right now, but the goal is to have a, a collection of coaches and we're all working together, um, providing um, workshops, providing content, providing one-on-one -on -one coaching, providing that space, like you said, to have those accountability partners and have people come together and work together and share their, their successes with each other. One day, I hope to have a foundation. Um, I feel like a lot of people who can't afford these sort of um, coaching sessions and these sort of workshops are the people who really could, could probably benefit from these the most. I mean, if not the same. 
and um, I want to make this sort of um, work accessible to uh, to everyone. So I hope to also create a foundation at some point, or my goal is to not. I hope to. I will. Uh, <laughs> I am, I statement. Yes. I will start a foundation. Yes. Complete the statement. I have a successful foundation <laughs> that helps people who cannot afford or cannot get access to services like coaching and workshops that help with their self-improvement. And it will happen because you've put it out there and mm -hmm. you already have begun taking the steps to make that happen. So this is not something that's out of the realm of possibility because you're already in the practice of getting there. So that's pretty outstanding. It. That's pretty Thanks. outstanding. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your, your insight and your I statements. I think that's awesome. And I know the future for you is it's going to happen and it's going to happen in the manner for which you're making it happen. Before we go, however, we are collecting our advice for uh, the women in our communities and sharing it with our Think Tank of Three Forum. So we've got our rapid fire questions. So these are very quick answers. Okay. So just okay. the, that those, just a, a sentence or two to, to really hit that point. Is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? Yes. Okay. Prioritize joy. I, I can't say that I have just recently learned this, but I've been embracing this concept more and more right now. I am a fiercely hard worker who will put eating, sleeping, even going to the bathroom off to get my goal finished. But you miss the journey along the way. Um, and if you aren't enjoying the journey, what's the point? What is the biggest piece of advice that you would offer to any woman? Okay. So I would say, don't just lean in for the sake of leaning in and don't just say yes. If it's not a hell yes, uh, it can be really flattering to be asked to do something, but really check yourself and your motivations and your values before you jump in. For example, you know, we need more women in politics and I've been asked to run for office. So I have to run because I believe in this. Don't just do stuff because you believe in it. Make sure that this is uh, entirely going to sit with your value system. In today's world, what do you think the most important skill for a woman to have is? Uh, I'm going to say learn how to be your own best friend. Your inner dialogue can be detrimental to your progress. If your friend told you they wanted to try something new, would you say, oh, you'll never be able to do that. You'll probably be bad at it. You would probably stop being friends with that person. So I right. would say, right, I'm going to say evict that, evict that voice from your head, evict that person, be your own best friend. Thank you, Diane. Can you please share the best way for our audience to connect with you if they have any additional questions? Sure. If you have any questions and you'd like to get in touch with me about any of my uh, sessions or um, just want to chat, you can reach me at dianelutzconsulting at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Diane. That is all for this episode of Think Tank of Three. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankof3@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankof3.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.